Hi, and welcome to those security guys, the podcast for security pros by security pros. Today, I'm joined by Dan. Hello, I'm Dan. How you doing? And we've got a few different topics to talk about today. We're going to have a run through a couple of different things, starting with the, the Marriott breach and a look at that. Uh, and then we're going to talk around um, a recent New York Times article, which is around data location and, you know, the headline, your apps went nowhere you were last night and they're not keeping it secret. And we're going to follow into discussions around predictions for 2019, uh, which are including things around Wi-Fi attack vectors, mobile spear phishing, uh, crypto jacking, and uh, is that going to still be a thing considering the current price of the cryptocurrency, and GDPR and mobile. So let's start off with uh, the Marriott thing. So, you know, if we take a look back at... uh, well, 2017, we thought that was a pretty bad year with WannaCry, Shadow Brokers, Equifax and Yahoo Hacks. I think 2018 probably could be termed as the year of the breach, you know. So with household names such as British Airways uh, and others, Uber, again, being fined for another data breaches, Facebook with its API issues, and now, of course, Marriott with uh, half a billion records being compromised, which uh, according to a New York Times article today has been linked to Chinese state hackers. But has to be said this hasn't yet been verified by official sources uh the data hall was pretty impressive and not just with millions of guest records but apparently now including health insurance info uh, and also security clearance files apparently for millions of u.s citizens uh you've got to start asking yourself how is this happening time and time again you know do you think we're do you think it's poor infosec at these places uh or a different kind of state actor um and i guess the other question that comes up do you think we're seeing more of these breaches now or is it regulation such as GDPR that's bringing more to light? Yeah, I think, I mean, maybe these uh, organizations are aware of their breaches more now. I agree with you, Jay. It's concerning the amount of information and the records that were breached, but maybe it's just because we're giving up more information now. I mean, the, the Marriott breach is interesting because really it was Starwood's fault, Starwood brand that Marriott bought about a yep. year ago. And I'm a big Starwood fan. Um, I haven't quite racked up 500 million stays, but I'm, I'm getting close to it. So every time I check in, I'm always astounded actually by the length of time it takes for me to get my room assigned to me. And often that's them collecting data about me in terms of um, what flight was I on? When am I checking out? What am I doing there? Um, credit card information, the driving license, all that information is being fed into their system for, for data harvesting. Um, and you know you can have the best security in the world, but given enough time and given enough data, some of that information is going to leak out. So, um, so yeah, I hope my data is secured, but I don't know as well. I don't know what these organizations are doing and how they're securing my data once I've given it up to them. I think you make a good point though. You, you know, we, we give up this information so easily, you know, as you say, you know, they're, they're taking a lot of time to, to collect all that info, but we're giving it up in, in the mobile apps that we use today, obviously to keep these loyalty schemes for, for, brands such as Starwood and other other ones, you know, where we, we put in our addresses, as you say, our, our uh, frequent flyer information, you know, it, it, it's very much, we're told to secure this, but actually we, we give it away so freely, don't we? And I guess then on top of that, with the hotel information, it's not just your, your email addresses, but, you know, your identity as well. So when you check in, of course, they want to see a passport or a, an ID um, again. So it's a great source of, uh, you know, revenue for somebody, I guess, if they're, if they're harvesting this. Yeah, I do remember linking my Starwood account to Uber because they were giving away more reward points if I did that. So you're right that I'm cross-contaminating any data breach that could happen at any one of those organizations um, and being exposed to that. And you're right in saying that, you know, we're told to secure our information. So 
I think Starwood actually changed their password policy recently to make it even more onerous for an end user with two-factor authentication and so on. But that wasn't the issue. This wasn't a, a compromise of end user passwords or end user accounts. It was the entire data warehouse, the back end that was compromised. Yep. And so, you know, they put their hand up eventually and said, you know, we did bad here. We're looking to make things better. But who knows what else is out there and access people had them. Because for how long did they have access to this information? I think it was years, wasn't it? That yeah, I think it was, I think it was four years apparently, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, I think it was only then recently discovered that they, they detected that somebody had been copying data out of that, that data lake, uh, I know, and siphoning it off. But, you know, four years is a, is a long time, you know, especially in, in the industry and the time that, you know, the place where we work now. That's, yeah. you know, you, you've got to ask yourself, uh, how was that not detected, I suppose? And there are questions, I'm sure, accountability questions, but then comes down to things like, you know, data governance and detection of that of, of uh, who who was accessing the data who had the right admin passwords and credentials you know i'm not suggesting in any way that it was insider uh, but you know the you've got to it's got to pose some questions i suppose for management and uh, whoever's doing this investigation of how did they get away with it for so long and undetected yeah i mean some of the regulations are a little bit lax in the u.s especially i mean you have pci should you actually be recording payment information I don't think that was necessarily included in the breach. So then it's like, well, what's the next regulation that that information comes under? There is no formal GDPR here in the States as well. Um, and so there's a, 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 a patchwork of state and federal regulations that people have to jump through and often nothing's really left in there. So, um, so yeah, if you're not recording credit card information, um, the end user information is often unencrypted in, in that manner. What's ironic is that credit card information isn't actually personal identifiable information. The credit card doesn't belong to me. It, it's, I'm a guardian of it. The money and the credit line belongs to the credit card company. So in a way, of all the breaches to happen, my credit card is the least thing I could worry about, really. It's my social um, number, in the, in the, um, social security number in the US, national insurance and, and other places address history of address employers that is information that does belong to me and i can't get back once it's out there um, so that's really where i need to be concerned about my information being breached not as much people worry about credit cards a lot but um assuming that you have not been negligent you're generally not responsible for any losses there and, and that's a fair point i guess isn't it yeah from the monetary side of things but i guess the bigger one now is so you know identity theft in 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 terms of people's like you say other information social security you know names and addresses that could be used to you know fraudulently open other lines of credit or, or other items or even you know i guess other malicious actions there um it makes me wonder though with, with these with these big breaches you know merit being huge of course and then last year we had you know equifax um which exposed not just people in the us but wider and then obviously yahoo again previously that which i think was getting close to a billion users or something uh, i wonder at some point though that you know obviously having gdpr here in here in europe um that with the us uh with like you say it's patchwork quilt of different uh, regulations maybe forced to enact some similar um, regulation or or bring in something that you know with, with teeth because I guess if it's if it affects one state you know you're in another state you know, you know there are different I guess what class action lawsuits that have been proposed haven't they against Marriott to, to for this but ultimately I guess it would this drive regulation I suppose well it's interesting the, the companies I've been working with on GDPR regulation in the US a lot of organizations are just mirroring what Europe is doing as well. And of course, it remains to be seen what the UK stance will be on GDPR as well going forward. Um, so, um, you know, Europe is really leading the world with that regulation. It's, 
best of both worlds for organizations in the US because they can copy that regulation and that protection, but they're not um, exposed to the fines if they ever do have a breach. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, I think they're looking at regulating themselves because they wouldn't like to have the onerous fines that um, GDPR is related to. No, and I guess that that's something yet that we haven't yet seen, I suppose, with GDPR, even though there have been you know, several breaches uh, reported post-GDPR implementation, uh, it's yet to be seen how how much teeth this has got, and I think a lot of people are probably waiting to see uh, whether the regulators in Europe uh, are willing to enact, you know, the the kind of power that GDPR brings, because uh, it could be millions, couldn't it, based on you know the the way it's structured in terms of you know global revenue. So you know, if it was uh, an equivalent to Marriott of some description, you know, that would be quite a quite a chunk of change to put it bluntly. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the benefits as well is that infosec tools are wising up to GDPR. I mean, Wondera is no different. We have GDPR reports that we can run and other security solutions have the same. So those tools are becoming available now to security professionals. And it's, it's not just PCI and HIPAA and things like that now. It's, it's, not, it's more about the end user personal information, as you said, Jay, not just credit card information or health information now. So hopefully we'll see more tools on offer to be able to detect where that information is residing and, and when it's being exposed as well. Definitely, definitely. I suppose this is going to be uh, one to watch, I guess, uh, how this develops. And, uh, you know, if uh, as more information comes out around, around this hack and uh, is, is, is uh, brought to the forefront, um, we will see how that develops and whether or not it changes regulations follow suit. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's change track a little bit. So let's talk about um, the, the recent New York Times article around uh, data collection. Uh, I know this is one you were interested in, in sort of bringing up and, and discussing. So do you, do you want to give us a quick rundown on, on what this was covering? Yeah, I mean, I won't try and paraphrase too much about the New York Times article itself. Um, and I think there was a podcast um, on the Daily that also spoke about this in a lot of detail. But generally speaking, there's a lot of applications out there through their terms of, and conditions of use that um, are harvesting information about your mobile device and how it's being used. And generally speaking, as we all know, our mobile device lives in, in one of our pockets or, or very close on a bag that we're carrying around. And so that can mirror our own personal uh, usage and, and daily uh, whereabouts. That information is then legally being sold on to other data um, harvesting, marketing organizations, and so on and so forth. And the New York Times article really pointed the finger that this information could be used with uh, nefarious, malicious intent as well. And um, it had some examples of someone tracking the behavior of going to an ex-boyfriend's house, I think. It had some other examples of security personnel who were shadowing the New York mayor and being able to track their location um, via this marketing information as well. And so it's something that no one wants to read the terms and conditions to iTunes or any of these other applications, the ULO information that we have to um, be accepting when we download these applications. But we are going to have to be aware of the permissions that we're giving applications. And from the research here at Wondera, applications are asking for more and more permissions that they don't necessarily need for their core function. So this is like, I guess, you know, when you, when you download one of those apps from the app store, isn't it? And, it, it, you know, and I, I use a bad analogy, but one of those, like the, you know, your, your torch application or your calculator, and, you know, all of a sudden it's saying, you know, I need to access your contacts or tell me where your location is, that kind of thing. Uh, you're right. You know, a lot of these are, you, you know, we, we click through them, I guess, because we're, we've become trained to accept the T's and C's without reading them and just want to install the application quickly. Um, and, you know, these, these applications, I suppose, you know, 
in the more legitimate sense with the, the if you say the social social networks, weather applications come up and things like that, um, are asking for more and more data. And without that, we 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 know as you said, we just blindly click through, and then the data's legitimately then being able to be sold on. I guess you know I can never remember who the who was credited to saying, but you know data. Uh, Data is uh, the most valuable resource now, isn't it? You know, no longer oil, but uh, data is the new gold as well. Um, and that's true. I think you know, with with that kind of information, you know, advertisers have power. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other trends that can be spotted through that data. Um, it, it's it's become probably more valuable to them than than other other attributes that we can give away. Yeah, I mean, you've got to ask yourself when you're using an application that you're not paying for, um, where's how are we paying for this application? How's the developer? funding their infrastructure and their usage and their time as well. I mean, from our research at Wondera, an application is either going to ask for no permissions or around three to four permissions. And those permissions, the, the most frequently requested permission is the photo library and the camera on the device. And so that, you know, that can contain some very sensitive information. And, um, you know, being able to record audio or video, the permission that you give it is obviously something quite concerning. The New York Times article focused on a collection of applications, one of them being a weather application called Weatherbug, that um, would track your location. And of course, location is important for, for finding out what the weather's going to be. But it would track it even when the application wasn't in use. And um, that is something where they're able to just track and monitor your phone and your the usage patterns of you as an individual um, and your phone, even when you're not looking at what the weather might be that particular day. So, um, so that's really the concern is that when you download these free applications and you are prompted for permissions or EULAs, really think about, you know, do you need this application to reside on your phone? Do you need to be giving up all of those permissions? Fair point, fair point. And I think was that, you know, one of the stats I've seen here, you know, is, is saying, you know, the, the, the sales of location uh, targeted advertising is now an estimated $21 billion uh, year, which, uh, you know, that's, that's quite an impressive uh, marketplace there, I guess. And that's only going to grow as, you know, more and more applications, uh, you know, are on the market. And of course, you know, the, the, the mobile devices, as you say, is the closest thing we have on us. It goes more, more places than anything else. Um, yeah. This kind of reminds me a little bit, if I will, I mean, talking about, you know, location, is a similar to that story previously in the year, uh, you know, with the, with the Strava application, of course, uh, you know, tracking locations um, and giving away uh, information on, on where you are. And of course, the other one was around, you know, uh, sensitive locations being uh, disclosed through, through the use of these fitness applications as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point that, that neither Strava nor Weatherbug um, have any malicious intent in their application at all. And Weatherbug, especially, they do, you know, talk about their usage in the EULA and the terms and conditions that they have. So that's just something to be concerned about, even when there is no malicious intent, that your usage data could be used nefariously by another actor as well, or something that you wouldn't wish to happen to your data. We do have examples in the past of applications accessing um, permissions on a device without prompting an end user. I think Uber had an old iOS release that was, uh, they got their hand slapped by Apple for using some private APIs in the background to monitor your location without even prompting you for your location permission on the device as well. So that's something that we, we're also concerned about as well at Wondera, but a lot of the time, the exposure to this risk comes from applications that um, are prompting you for this and end users are accepting those permissions. So it's something that's important to audit your device, not just when you start to run out of memory on your phone and you start deleting apps, but you should have a look at the applications that have on your device 
think, do I need them or not? And also review the permissions that you give in these uh, applications as well. Yeah, definitely. I say, yeah, it's very much, I think you're right, around being a little bit more uh, wary or, or, or aware, perhaps, around you know, the, the apps, as you say, uh, and, you know, partly on these companies as well to provide clearer information in, in, you know, in these in these EULAs because, you know, I'm sure you'll agree, you know, I'm, myself, I, I hardly ever read them, you know, we, we click accept, you know, um, but actually I think if, if they were easier to read and perhaps were a little bit more uh, plain English, perhaps, uh, in, in what they're telling you, then, you know, we might be a little bit more wary of, of clicking accept uh, and, you know, then more aware of which of these applications that are using it, you know, especially with those pop-ups that come up saying, you know, allow whatever application name to access your location. Uh, and then it gives you, you know, especially on iOS, you know, the three options, doesn't it? You know, only when you're using the app and allow and, and don't allow. That's I mean, we've had some really cool research here at Wondera where we've identified the category of application and the permissions that it's accessing. And there's lots of permissions, microphone and Bluetooth and all that sort of thing. But if we have a look at location, as you said, Jay, there's two options for location. One is when the application is in use and one is all the time. So when we have a look at in use, the winner from a, um, a category is navigation. Of course, navigation apps need to know where you are, generally speaking, or they're, they're pretty useless when they can't do that. But when we have a look at always, so you know, even when you're not using the application, weather and shopping come out in the top three. So weather applications and shopping applications want to be able to track your location all the time, even when you're not in the application. So yeah, I, I personally wouldn't necessarily want a shopping application or a weather application to do that necessarily all the time without, without my explicit permission when I'm in the application. So it's something to keep an eye on. Definitely, definitely does. And yeah, I'm guessing this is, again, something that's, uh, you know, going to continue going forward uh, as, a, as these applications and these services behind them, uh, you know, want to use this data not necessarily for malicious use, but for, for good old commercial reasons and uh, uh, earning a few dollars and pounds wherever they can. Yeah. Excellent. So let's I turn our attention to, uh, you know, the, the impending end of the year and into, into 2019, you know, which uh, scarily isn't that far away now. Uh, you know, who would have believed that, you know, we're less than uh, two or three weeks away. Um, and I, and I, I guess we've got, you know, perhaps maybe look at five predictions in the, in the coming year. Um, do you want to kick us off with uh, maybe, you know, sort of a, an upcoming trend for, for 2019? Yeah, I mean, one of the trends that has really been growing this year is that malicious sites are using SSL or TLS, as, as you would, certificates. I think there's two reasons for doing that. One is they look a lot more legitimate. When you're accessing a phishing resource and you see the padlock at the top of the screen, along with a genuine looking domain, there's less red flags for an end user to think there's something untoward going on. And the other is, as a malicious actor, I'm able to secure that traffic and stop some other legacy security solutions from really being able to flag that as well if I'm encrypting that end-to-end um, -end from my malicious resource down to the end user as well. It's become increasingly easier and actually free as well for people to get certificates now using services like Let's Encrypt and Cloudflare as well. Um, so the web is going close to 100% encrypted, and malicious sites and applications are also using um, encrypted formats as well. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's a good point, isn't it? You know, uh, you know, we've been shepherded towards you know that that HTTPS you know SSL realm, you know, through through browsers, you know, with with uh, you know definitely Chrome is a good example of that, isn't it? You know, displaying uh, insecure sites and uh, starting to push you know main uh, non you know not just the mainstream but everybody to that to that SSL. Um, viewpoint 
and it makes sense, I guess, that the criminals and uh, the bad actors are going to do that as well. And you're right, you know, if uh, again, it's it's down to training and you know people being aware of thinking that it has to be secured, uh, that the, the the bad actors are going to do the same. So I guess it's one to be one to keep be aware of. And again, it's it's not necessarily going to stop these uh, these phishing campaigns and another another malicious act is going on. Yeah, it's something that we have some really hard data on the growth of using SSL with malicious sites, phishing sites, and as well as the command and control traffic from applications is really growing just as quickly as legitimate resources. Another prediction that we have for 2019, which we have some pretty hard data on, is on crypto jacking. So uh -huh. what would you expect <laughs> to see crypto jacking drop this year? You've seen the price of Bitcoin drop. Oh, it's fallen, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, the floor has fallen out of it, especially compared to where we were last year. So one would expect if people were using this for legitimate usage on their own personal website to try and get, you know, get a few pennies here and there in place of advertising, um, one would expect to see the usage drop significantly. That's not what we're seeing at all at Wondera. Crypto jacking is more popular than ever, especially on mobile devices where the actual CPU is generally a lot more powerful than on somebody's desktop machine and hence a lot more useful to crypto jack. So there's obviously a decoupling of the price to crypto jacking, which could be for one of two reasons. One is that these are all really just malicious usage. If, if it's malicious, malicious and you're not paying for the resource, then it doesn't matter that Bitcoin is worth 10% what it was a year ago almost. Um, you're still gonna be getting some money out of it. And another thing that's possibly happening here is that crypto jacking is being used for other types of attacks on blockchain technology, not necessarily mining coins, but doing some type of denial of service attacks and other types of 51% uh, attacks on different blockchains. So, um, you know, our data shows that crypto jacking is increasingly more and more of a threat on mobile devices. And of course the public data out there is that um, cryptocurrencies um, are valued a lot less than they were a year ago. Uh, that's a really, really, really good, interesting point because, yeah, you, you know, the cryptocurrency market, as you said, it's the bottom's falling out of it. Him, yeah, I have to admit, my, my own little portfolio has uh, seen some significant drops. Um, you know, so you'd think, as you say, you'd think if that was the case, that you know, it, it would almost have dried up, and and these uh, crypto jacking attacks and and um, occurrences would have would have disappeared. But I guess you know, the blockchain is obviously the underlying technology there. And as you say, you know, these could be used potentially to cause disruption or other attacks there. And I think I guess that's the thing really that we haven't yet seen. Uh, and perhaps we may do next year and into the future is attacks on blockchain or, or equivalent, um, you know, as more and more services and more and more platforms move to that, that capability. Yeah. I mean, I spoke to um, Wired about a year ago on, on crypto technology and crypto jacking and I was quite excited about the possibility of micropayments on different websites and resources, rather than having to have a look at adverts, especially on a mobile form factor, you know, to donate a small percentage of my CPU time and to get rid of adverts on, um, on websites and so on, and to have that go to the website owner and the journalist and whatever it might be. Um, but it's not being used for legitimate uses anymore, but um, the technology is out there and uh, we're really waiting to be seeing what the next attack is. But as you said, Cryptocurrencies might not be going anywhere, but blockchain as an underlying technology is certainly around for a while now. Definitely. Um, I, so what, one of the ones I had here as well is, is around, um, obviously, the impending growth in uh, you know, 5G and the hype around that. Um, and the you know, Wi-Fi attacks um, 
are probably not going to disappear anytime soon, despite the fact that, you know, the industry is gearing up for a move to, you know, to 5G and the speeds and the connectivity uh, that that's bringing. Um, and I, you know, I've certainly from, from the reports I've seen here, you know, the research that, you know, Wondera has done as well, is that, we, you know, we're seeing, I think it's over 71% of, of mobile transactions are still over Wi-Fi and around, you know, just under 30% uh, over cellular. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the hype around 5G, you know, being built up by the, the carriers uh, and, the, you know, the, the networking industry is that, you know, 5G is going to eclipse all other connectivity forms and uh, replace Wi-Fi everywhere. Um, but, you know, this is, this is going to take a long time, isn't it, to roll out. And it's, I don't think, you know, it's going to kill uh, Wi-Fi and any, you know, uh, um, associated technologies uh, overnight. I mean, obviously, as we as we move into that world, certainly it's going to bring with it new challenges and, of course, uh, uh, new attack vectors. Um, but, if, you know, Wi-Fi is still going to be there. We're still going to be using Wi-Fi internally in, in, in our offices, in our homes. Um, and I, I guess, you know, perhaps as it does grow, uh, you know, we'll probably see less and less of, you know, things like the rogue hotspots um, because public Wi-Fi will be, I, because you know may go by the wayside because of the speeds of 5g and connectivity um but certainly you know it's not going to disappear overnight is it i think you know wi-fi is definitely going to be around for some time and people are, are not going to be replacing a technology which has become so uh, such a well such a large part of our lives really hasn't it yeah i think what's interesting in the us is that they're starting to roll out 5g routers for people to use in their home which i'm excited about because it can decouple me from my onerous cable company um, but 5G phones are still a way out. So it's probably for the entirety of 2019, we might see more adoption of Wi-Fi potentially because it's going to be easier for people to set up a Wi-Fi hotspot in remote locations, locations that ordinarily didn't have anything but cellular connectivity, but um, harder for people to get a phone on 5G just because the phones aren't going to be out there. And I'd imagine you would see some Android devices maybe by the end of the year having some 5G support. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to make an awful prediction that are always wrong, that you don't need anything more than 4G. 4G is fine, because I'm sure there's going to be some applications out there that need more and more bandwidth and better connectivity. But on a personal level, I don't need anything more than being able to stream 1080p video to my phone. And you can almost do that within 3G. You can definitely do it with an LTE 4G. So 5G's main usage, it seems to be being able to provide connectivity for Wi-Fi rather than mobile devices, at least in the initial wave. Definitely, and I think yeah, uh, you know, trying not to to get into the prediction market, but yeah, you're right. I think I read somewhere the other day that you know Apple uh, won't be looking at 5G until 2020. So uh, I'll be sticking with my uh, my 4G iPhone for some time. I feel. Yeah, and then of course the the, the actual weakness I find in, in Wi-Fi isn't necessarily the hop on the ISP side of things. It's the Wi-Fi protocols themselves. Um, you know, very few people are using anything better than. Um, an N device, you know, even though there's A and C and, and all those other protocols out there that I can't really keep track of very well. So um, I find that people might end up with a 5G last hop to, as an ISP, but they might still be using poor Wi-Fi routers in their homes and having to use those extenders that aren't very efficient and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, it's a nice alternative to your cable company and the ISP that you might be using. A lot of people still using ADSL and other legacy technologies over copper but uh, might not be anything more for the next year or so. No, no, definitely. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. It should be, uh, should be an interesting if uh, all these predictions around 5G and the speed come to, come to life. So uh, I guess that kind of brings us to maybe perhaps maybe the last one on the list here, uh, and which is, you know, uh, and like mobile being 
the biggest GDPR weakness. So we talked to, you know, a bit about GDPR and, uh, you know, other regulations earlier in the show. Um, and I think it's, you know, fair to say that, you know, mobile has presented probably the biggest challenge to GDPR compliance. And there are several reasons to that. Um, and, you know, we've talked about it earlier, earlier as well around things like the data collection piece, because, you know, mobile is driving the largest collection of you know personal data, uh, location data, of course, other other sources of data, uh, you know, and as you said yourself, it's it's next year all the time. It's everywhere we go for, you know, every time we pick up that device, uh, you know, we, we, whether we're searching for something on the web or we're using one of those shopping or our weather apps, you know, that data's there. So I guess you know this is going to start to bring up some bigger questions around. Um, the the argument between compliance uh, between data privacy uh, and ultimately you know what we see as convenience isn't it as we head into next year yeah it's very hard to mandate an ecosystem of applications on mobile devices there are ways of doing it you can remove app stores you can blackberry eyes these modern mobile devices but generally speaking uh, mobile ecosystems and enterprises are not doing that so then you are exposing yourself to the whim of any developer out there on the app store and how your users might be using those permissions that we spoke about earlier in the show um, and exposing information on, on that device and cross-pollinating applications. So it's, it's a really tricky space to play in right now in, in terms of making sure that you're GDPR compliant in the mo mobile ecosystem. As you said, Jay, um, we haven't seen the regulators come down hard with fines yet but breaches are happening all the time and it's a very tricky space to play in. Yeah. So I, that probably is probably one that, you know, is, is going to be something that's going to probably rear its head quite a bit, I suppose, in the, in the coming year as a, uh, you know, more and more uh, applications and services have to start, you know, complying more strongly with the regulation, even though it's been there. And I guess with these breaches and these, these other, um, compliance issues that we've seen through people like Marriott, of course. So yeah, definitely one that we're, we're going to see more of. And I think uh, as these carry on and we, we get tighter around, you know, around the world with different regulations, there's going to be more scrutiny. Um, and yeah, I think it also comes down to, like you said yourself, being, you know, a little bit more aware of what applications and data you're giving away on those devices. And, you know, maybe having a periodic cleanup of, of, of your phone or your tablet or whatever you might use, uh, you know, for those apps, you really need to have that, that application on there. When was the last time you used it? And, uh, you know, does it really need to read your SMSs? You know, it's only, you know, it's only a torch. Um, but yeah, definitely one, one for next year. And I think, you know, when we maybe hopefully get a chance to revisit this, uh, we'll see how that's predicted. So I think that, that was great. So thanks very much, Dan. I think we had a really good conversation this evening on, uh, on the different topics. And um, hopefully it's given uh, the listeners something to think about. And uh, we'll be back very soon uh, with some more hot topics, uh, very likely early in the new year. Uh, with hopefully no more breaches, uh, but maybe coming to a review of some of the other things in 2018 and looking at some of the, the bigger news stories of the day. So thank you very much and we'll catch you next time.